Welcome into another episode of Back and Forth Podcast Edition. No radio this week because it was Labor Day. So you got the week off from the usual suspects on Back and Forth Radio Edition. Uh, but I'm your host, Stat Matt, here with Joey G. As always, because it was Labor Day weekend, we had a lot of college football going on, and we're going to break down some of the bigger surprises of the college football weekend. But as a quick reminder, you can follow the show on Twitter at BackForthPod. Instagram is at BackForthPodcast. I'm on both platforms at MattRaftry925. Joey is on both at JoeyGallegos13. But without further ado, let's get right into it. We got a lot of surprises to get through. Game number one, Virginia Tech playing North Carolina in Virginia Tech. And uh, the Hokies, they held their own. They came out, they, they played well against North Carolina, and they got the outright win. Former... Uh... Or uh, Desiree Reed Francois's old school, where she used to be an associate athletic director. But yeah, I mean, Sam Howell had a, a very rough game 17 of 32, 208 yards, one touchdown, and three picks. I mean, he kind of looked like his, uh, the old quarterback over at uh, North Carolina, Mitch Trubinsky, who's now the uh, backup quarterback to, <laughs> backup quarterback to Josh Allen on the Buffalo Bills. Uh, but this was a surprise. I know Matt and Dom are. Uh, very fond, at least, or they like uh, the North the Tar Heels football team, and they came into this season ranked 10th in the country, and they dropped the first game on the road to Virginia Tech, 10 to 17, and even Virginia Tech, their QB didn't play all that fantastic either. I mean, 12 of 19, 169 yards, one touchdown, one interception. They never really got the running game going. What really lost this game for North Carolina was uh, offensively. I mean, you turn over the ball three times by throwing interceptions, and uh, you. You give Virginia Tech basically three opportunities to go down and, and get in the end zone and, and make a play, and uh, that's essentially what happened. And that's something that North Carolina's gonna have to clean up next week. I believe they play Georgia State uh, next week, so I, a little bit of an easier opponent for them, uh, for them to get back up on their feet. But this is not the start to the season that uh, uh, the Tar Heels wanted. I mean, this football program's really been getting it going as of late. Uh, and they're looking – I don't know if they were going to make a run in the college football playoff, but they were in a position to, nothing less. I mean, any team that's within that top 10 range, you're going to make a run, I think, or you have a chance to make a run. And, I mean, you pretty much screw yourselves out of it week one. Uh, but, you know, very big win for Virginia Tech. I mean, way to start the season, getting a big win at home, and uh, they could have a very good very good season for them. Yeah, I think – and we'll get more into this, but – it felt like the theme of the weekend was a lot of these home underdogs, if you will, or teams that, you know, maybe aren't expected to play as well, even though they're at home. They came to play for the most part. I, I was shocked to see how many teams, you know, playing at home in front of a sold-out crowd that weren't expected to play as well against their opponent as they did, Virginia Tech being one of them. I think, you know, a lot of people came into this game thinking, North Carolina would win fairly easy to a degree, um, right. you know, probably in the neighborhood of seven to ten points, somewhere in there. And Virginia Tech, like I said, they held their own. Um, you look at the stats, they controlled the time of possession. They had, I think, possessed the ball eight more minutes than North Carolina did, and they didn't have as many penalties. They didn't have as many turnovers, and they just played a smarter game. Um, I think maybe coming out, you know, and I heard this mentioned on uh, College Game Day on Saturday, and it may be, it may rain, rain true that all these teams that 
weren't getting as much love originally, all of a sudden now in the past few years have been, North Carolina being one of them, I, I think that might they might hear that noise a little bit and maybe think that, you know, oh, we're, we finally made it. We're, you know, we're in that conversation with the Clemsons and the Georgias and the Alabamas. And the fact of the matter is, I mean, you still have to go out and prove yourself every single week as a team. I mean, Alabama's no different, right? They they came out against Miami, who I, many believe that that game was going to be a lot closer than they did. And before you even knew it, Alabama was already up 27 to nothing. So, I mean, they even a team— Miami football is the same story every year. They're like, this is yeah. they're going to be a lot better this year. And then yeah, I mean, one, they get— break speed out of them you know yeah and Alabama I mean given all the success they've had you know many championships Nick Saban I don't think has to prove anything to anybody at this point in his career but you know the, his team still didn't take Miami lightly they came out they put the whoop down on them and did Alabama type things I think the same has to reign true for teams like North Carolina that may not get all the attention but yet up till that point was putting in so many different um so many different good games that people weren't watching. Like they had so they had so many years where nobody was really paying attention to North Carolina football. Now all of a sudden they're good and people are paying attention and this was I think their first true spotlight to go let's see what you got. And at least I mean this was one game but it wasn't impressive. <laughs> let's put it that way. Um not to say that this team won't be good. I think if I had to pick a team in the ACC that is going to probably play maybe Clemson in the ACC championship game. Who knows? Uh, we'll get into them a little bit later on, but it might be North Carolina. I, I mean, I think they're probably a viable option to be playing Clemson in that ACC championship game or whoever it else may be. And you can make a case that this team gets better. They might have a legitimate chance to win the ACC. And that's something we have. We haven't had that conversation for a while when it comes to the ACC because typically it's just been Clemson's conference to lose. So, I mean, he has one game, and there's plenty of time to re rebound. You know, teams in front of them in the poll could lose, and that obviously helps them out. But it's definitely not a good look right away to have an unranked loss on your record. No. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, they got to they gotta pick it up next week. You have Georgia State, which is – if you lose, that's embarrassing, and if you win, that's not going to be that much of an impressive win on your schedule, but uh, maybe they can start building momentum momentum off of that win. Yeah, a team to look at here that almost lost. This would have been probably one of the upsets of the weekend. Tulane versus Oklahoma. Oklahoma won this game by five points, and to give you some context, Oklahoma at the half was up 23 points. And they almost gave the game away to Tulane. Yeah. I mean, I'll let you start off, Joey, but that that's not a very good look. <laughs> well, this game originally was supposed to be played at Tulane. Correct. And then, uh, obviously, with the hurricane, it had to be moved to Norman, Oklahoma. But maybe we're having a very different conversation if this game was being played at Tulane. Great. I mean, Tulane impressed a lot of people. Uh, I don't know how much Oklahoma was exactly favored by to win this game. They were favored Matt's by— Matt's the degenerate gambler, so— um, I know for sure they didn't cover. They didn't even come close. I think yeah. I want to say it was like 32 points somewhere in that ballpark. So pretty significant. Yeah, so around 30 points. And for them to get within five points on the road, you didn't win the game, but like that's kind of considered a win in, in some people's book. Like Tulane was seconds. I mean, if they just had a little better play calling on that drive 
and were able to just drive down the field a little bit, they win that game. Uh, Pratt, uh, quarterback over at Tulane, had a fantastic game, 27-44, to nearly 300 yards, three touchdowns, no turnovers, and then he runs for 34 yards and gets a, a scoring touchdown. So four total touchdowns, over 300 yards of offense on the road at Oklahoma. I know Oklahoma's defense has never been really that good. That's been kind of one of the main reasons why they've never been able to kind of get out of that that first game in the playoff or not really make a solid run in the playoff is because of their defense. But uh, nothing less, that's a Big 12 school, and that's a huge upgrade from the conference Tulane is in. And Rattler uh, struggled a little bit. He 30, 30, 30 of 39, 304 yards, a touchdown, and two picks. Um, so two turnovers. He had more turnovers than total touchdowns for the night. And this is somebody a lot of people were hyping up as a potential Heisman candidate going into this season. He gets off to a rocky start. Uh, so as a college football fan, you love seeing games like this. I, a lot of college football fans, football fans probably wanted to see Tulane winning the game. And uh, I kind of go back on my original pick here because just a couple weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, I was saying Oklahoma was going to be a, a contender this season. And, I mean, they won nothing less, but it was a uh, it was a win with an asterisk on it kind of. Like they didn't look all that impressive against a – I mean, we don't know how good or bad Tulane is yet or how good or bad Oklahoma is because it's only one game in, but just based off of last season and, and how far these schools have been apart most recent years uh, – yeah, definitely a question mark for Oklahoma. But again, it's one season. It's a long year. It's a 12-game season. And uh, there's plenty of time to to fix whatever mistakes they made. I mean, offensively, they still put up 40 points, which is good. But uh, the defensive end of the ball, you, you, can't, you can't let a team get back into the game when you're up 23 points at home. And that's one of the big mistakes Oklahoma made. And you can't make that mis- a mistake against a a team within the Big 12 Conference this season or when you start playing those better opponents or when you get to a bowl game or when you get to potentially the college football playoff, uh, there's no margin for error against those bigger schools because if you let off the gas pedal, you know, you're basically just shooting yourself in the foot. And, uh, I mean, we'll see if Rattler can get it together. He didn't look all that impressive week one, but, again, it's a long year. And we'll keep our eye on Tulane. Tulane may be Tulane just may be a lot better than people thought at the end of the day. Like Oklahoma may not have had a bad game. Tulane just may be a whole lot better than people thought. And that that's a real possibility. So people also need to give their respect to Tulane for going out and playing a hell of a game because, you know, it's not all that Oklahoma just played bad. I think Tulane was part of the reason why they played bad. Yeah. Um, I know of a lot of people that were – um, involved on the betting side with this game. A lot of people were looking at the first half, right? Like Oklahoma, they'll come out, they'll stomp them in the first half, and then maybe, you know, Tulane puts up some meaningless points late. Um, it's usually what always happens. Yeah, and it was funny. Oklahoma almost didn't even cover the first half line. Like they need, they had a miracle long field goal right at the buzzer just to get over. What was the half, like 21, 22? 20 and a half. 20 so and they, half. they were down, I think it was. They were up 20. Yeah, they were right um, at 20. They kicked the field goal. They're, they're leading by 23 at the half. So, um, it, that I mean, watching that first half, you know, I felt like Oklahoma missed out on a lot of opportunities. Um, they gave away basically their first offensive possession in the second throw. Uh, Spencer Rattler threw it right to the defender sets up Tulane in Oklahoma territory with great field position to capitalize. And I think Tulane had the first score of the game. So right there, you would expect better out of a number, I believe number two team in the country, if I'm not mistaken, Oklahoma. Um, At least 
somewhere in the top five. I'm not exactly sure where they were, but they were for sure in the top five. I believe they were number two uh, when they played this game. But yeah, uh, Oklahoma's two. Yeah, Oklahoma. So a number two team, essentially the the next best team after Alabama, according to the AP poll. Um, you have Alabama, then you have Oklahoma. And to me, this just didn't feel like a number two team. It felt like a maybe a performance you would see out of a number 15, if you will, yeah. um, where it's a good team, don't get me wrong, but you can tell that there's a big gap. I Let's put it this way. I was more impressed with Georgia far more than I was impressed with Oklahoma. And so early on, you're going to start seeing a lot of these discrepancies as far as where the AP poll got it wrong. And I think early on, I think the AP poll got it wrong on Oklahoma as as far as putting them too high. You know, you look at teams like Georgia, look at teams like Alabama. I mean, that was the consensus number one. I don't think anybody was going to have Alabama outside of number one. But, you know, a team that, like I said, sticks out of my mind, you know, Georgia, for instance, they didn't win by a whole lot, but they had a quality win you know, on a neutral site against Clemson. And so when you are a team like Oklahoma and you're just barely getting by a team like Tulane, and then you look around the poll and you've got top a pair of top five teams playing each other. Um, I know there was, I think, uh, Indiana, Iowa was playing each other. Like there were some decent matchups going on. And you don't win the game by probably as much as you should have if you're Oklahoma. I mean, yeah, you won the game, but it's kind of one of those, I don't know how good you can feel about your team, you know, especially in the second half, almost giving the game away. So, I mean, it's early on. Oklahoma did get the win, so they're not going to move around too much in the poll. But it, I, I, I almost call these, like, wins with an asterisk on it because that's probably a, a game you should have lost, but you were just in the right place at the right time. Well, at least uh, one positive note is at least Lincoln Riley didn't suggest to execute his entire team after the game, <laughs> like uh, Brian Kelly, like for, Brian Kelly from Notre Dame. You know, I, it's funny. I watched that game, and I thought in the third quarter that Notre Dame was going to start pulling away. It was like thirty-eight to twenty. They were starting to put it on. I'm like, okay, here we go. But Florida State, they they hung tough. Um, Mackenzie Milton should be the you know the permanent quarterback one for that team. The other guy, was he was bad. He was just not good. Um, Mackenzie Milton deserves the quarterback one spot, especially after all he's go- gone through in his career. Missed over, I think, a 1,000 days uh, with rehab. Uh, getting you know, He had a lot of knee injuries. So Mackenzie Milton, he came in and was the instant spark for F- FSU. And he was the reason that we were playing overtime. Let's right. put it that way. So... Um, FSU almost won that game, by the way. They had a chance. and the kicker blew it, so. Well, I don't know if the kicker necessarily blew it. I mean, he made the practice kick, but the problem was his Mark, Mark Norvell, his coach, yeah, iced him. Yeah, iced him. Which, and then I that mean, fourth down play call that was earlier in the game. Like A lot the, of, like, like he didn't coach back because he obviously you put up a, a good game against Notre Dame, but, like, he made two very stupid decisions that kind of had an impact on, you know, what the final score of the game ended up being. Right. And, I mean, I, I understand why he called timeout when his field goal kicker was kicking because, I mean, he's trying to essentially get better field position for his kicker. Like, it's going to ch- probably take off a decent 12 or 15 yards off the kick. But, I, I mean, I would have almost been okay with, like, just letting the kicker kick the field goal. Like, I'll save the challenge for a different day. Like, because 
you have to think about this from a kicker standpoint. You're already mentally preparing for a long field goal. And you could tell, like, he was going to, he was money on his practice kick. It went in. And that's where a lot of people were like, man, why did he call a timeout? He should have just let it go. But, I mean, it's all time of the moment, Monday morning quarterback type stuff. But um, I was impressed, though, with FSU. I mean, they put up one fantastic game against Notre Dame and were a mere, you know, mere seconds away from winning that game. Yeah, and another somewhat impressive win was uh, Penn State going up to Madison, Wisconsin and pulling off an upset. And this is a game me and Matt have predicted or at least bet on uh, Wisconsin to end up winning. And I, Matt chuckles right there, so I think Matt may have lost some money on this game. But Maybe uh, I did. Maybe I didn't. <laughs> That's, you know. But overall, I mean, pretty – I mean, Penn State has been kind of – I don't know if I exactly want to compare them to Michigan, but just like they – they disappear when they play teams that are a lot better than them yeah. or that are ranked higher than them. And uh, to, to win this game on the road, very impressive for Penn State. And that's that's a very good start to the season. I really don't have much other to say about this game. It was a pretty uh, defensive football game. And Wisconsin can only seem to really get the running game going. Running back puts up 121 yards and a touchdown. Uh, your quarterback puts up 185 yards and two interceptions, no touchdowns. So the running game was really the only thing going right for Wisconsin. And, uh, I mean – like I said, Penn State just has now the opportunity to build off of this, and this is this is a huge road win for them, and uh, they proved they proved a lot of people wrong, including me and Matt. Thank God I didn't put actual money on that game, but I think Matt may have. So it's funny you mentioned that. I picked Wisconsin, right? Mm-hmm. Saturday morning, I was looking around, and there were a lot of people on Penn State, a lot of people that I even respected. I was like. So I had to think about it, and at the last second, I switched it up and I went Penn State. Oh, you liar! This I did. Guy's lying. I did. I, I honestly. It just did. clicked to me that uh, Penn State was going to win this football. I'm just kidding. No, I. I mean, I. I didn't pick them to win the game. I didn't think they were going to win the game. I thought, if anything, they would cover, yeah. and maybe Wisconsin kicks like a last-second field goal or whatever. But I'm like, man. So to answer your question, I chuckled at that because that was a game that I normally don't like changing my mind at the last second, but that that's when I did. Um, as far as the game itself, it was pretty, I don't know if boring's the right term, but unentertaining for the most part until the end. Um, I thought for a game of this magnitude in prime time, we were going to see more, more scoring. And I, I get that scoring is kind of more of a fan's want, uh, if you will, but at the end of the day, I mean, people want to see touchdowns. They want to see explosive plays. They want to see, you know, a high-scoring, high-pacing type of game and not a game that ends in 16 to 10. Um, now, if you watch the game, like, especially towards the end, like, the action was exciting. Like, there was a lot on the line. You know, Wisconsin had many chances to win that game or tie it up. But the overall product, and we kind of saw this a little bit with Clemson and Georgia – where a game that's hyped up to that magnitude, you would expect a lot more action from. And when it's as low scoring as it is, and maybe not as much action going on, it almost feels underwhelming. And it feels like, you know, that game was kind of a letdown. It's like um, a baseball game. Yeah. Well, that's a very high scoring baseball game, 16 yeah. to 10. I mean, I don't know who's pitching in that game, but it's probably nobody good. <laughs> Fantastic ERA. Yeah. It's probably, it's probably Joey and I pitching in that game and that's probably being kind, but who was the one team the Aviators played where the, like the dude's ERA was like a like a sixteen or something? 
I I can't remember. I want to say it was Albuquerque, maybe. Well, it's minor league, so that I mean, yeah. having an ERA of sixteen Poor is guy. probably it's pretty. Like, he's like, "What am I going to get called up?" And they're like, "Ah, <laughs> buddy, <laughs> um, I don't think you're going to get called up anytime soon. If Actually, anything, we might have to send you down. Yeah, to we're going to send you down <laughs> to a lower to a lower league." <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think. Was it a typical Big Ten matchup? Yes, in the sense that it was very physical, it was very defensive, um, not a whole lot of scoring one way or the other. Does it make for a boring product? Sometimes it can. And so maybe it's just week one jitters, but you know, going forward I would want to see maybe some more of these primetime matchups have more scoring because they understand that you know, they're going to have a lot of people, whether it's at the stadium or on TV, there's a lot of people paying attention to these games. And... Um, in a sense, you want to give them a good show to watch. Right. And um, other than that, I mean, it was it was a decent game. Um, I was a little bit surprised that Penn State won the game outright. Um, it felt like one of those games that maybe Penn State kept it close, but James Franklin, the head coach for Penn State, would always find something to go wrong. Maybe a missed play call. Maybe, you know, a untimely timeout or whatever the case may be. And to his credit, he, he did a good job. He... he this team, you know, ha- now has a very impressive win on the road against Wisconsin, and that might go a long way in making a case for p- potentially p- uh, Penn State to be in the playoff. You never know. Speaking of sixteen to ten, yeah, another final score being sixteen to ten. Oh, bro. Oh man. An opponent that's coming here to Vegas actually not this week but the following week. Iowa State meaning Northern Iowa only sixteen to ten at home, and uh, I mean ESPN. For the majority, ESPN had Iowa State winning this game, uh, gave them a 98% chance to win this game going into it. I don't know what the line was for this game. I'm sure Matt can tell you off the top of his head. Matt, do you remember? Uh, I'm going to look it up right now on ESPN. ESPN will have the uh, the line. All right. well, Matt's, Matt's going to find the line here. But, again, this is a team that – you have the line? So how much do you think Iowa State was favored by? Considering they're ranked seventh in the nation facing a F, F, was FCS school – or FBS school, maybe a lower FBS, FCS, yeah, somewhere in that area. Yeah. Um, high thirties, like thirty-seven. Not that high. Okay, twenty-seven. Close. Twenty-eight and a half. Wow, they didn't even they didn't come anywhere near yeah. that. <laughs> no. They didn't even score just 20, a little, just a little. They short. didn't even score twenty-eight points in the yeah, game. Yeah, they didn't even get to twenty-eight <laughs> points. I don't. There wasn't even twenty. Yeah, twenty-eight points total overall. Right. So, uh, yeah, just slightly off there. But again, this is a team that uh, me and Matt have. Or Matt especially has uh, really hyped up. You know, you're ranked seventh in the country. You've brought back a lot of guys, and this is a team that's again coming to Vegas in a couple weeks to play UNLV. That I think me and Matt both have absolutely trouncing the Rebels. I mean, we don't think I don't think UNLV is going to come any closer after this because I think Iowa State will warm up. Every team's a little sloppy and uh, you know makes their mistakes going into week one. So we exactly don't know how this team is going to look coming into week three, but. Got to give again. You got to give credit to the other schools. Sometimes it's not all that the big school played crappy and sloppy northern iowa may had a, a specific game plan where they went out there and they they put pressure on northern uh, they put pressure on iowa state all these iowas are confusing me they put pressure on iowa state and forced them to make those mistakes where they're able to keep a close game kind of brings me back to um i don't know if you remember it was on first take when the mavericks and the heat were in the finals mm-hmm. and uh they kept basically saying the only reason or skip bayless kept saying the only reason that the miami heat lost that finals was because lebron played bad or LeBron choked. And then Mark Cuban, who is the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, responded yep. with that 
we had a game plan. Why do you think LeBron played so bad? You know, LeBron's one of the greatest players on the planet. He just don't disappear. We had a game plan out there that, you know, took the ball out of LeBron's hands and forced him to make mistakes and put him in a position where he was uncomfortable. We made him uncomfortable, and that's how we were able to win the series in six games. And so that kind of goes back in, into these games here where um, – it's not always that the big school played bad. It's just sometimes these smaller schools, just like when Howard beat UNLV, when UNLV was favored by 45 points, um, they had a game plan that you know took these schools out of their comfort zone and were able to uh, draw a little bit closer or almost steal a win, or in some cases, which we'll talk about in a little bit, with Montana beating Washington, were able to steal a win. Or maybe they just lined up a certain way because, like, you know, Scott Frost, <laughs> maybe they just lined up a certain way and then the whole game plan goes out the window just like with uh, – <laughs> with what Illinois did, uh, old Scott Frost. I mean, Illinois lines up on the field, and Scott Frost is like, "Oh, there goes half the game plan." So I mean, it happens. Yeah, you never you never know what happens in these games, but uh, you know, got to give credit to Northern Iowa. And uh, if you're Iowa State, again, most of these games you shouldn't be too concerned. It's one weekend. We really don't know who. We don't know how good Northern Iowa is. We don't know how good Iowa State or how bad Iowa State is. So uh, nothing less though. You get a win, and that's really what matters. No one's gonna look back. You know, you don't get a asterisk on the on the one. You know the one and oh, and it's going to be like they only won this game by six points. You get to win nothing less, and uh, they got a big challenge next week. They play the Hawkeyes, their rival, uh, which the Hawkeyes had a pretty convincing win against a top twenty-five team against Indiana. They beat them like six to thirty-four, I think, or somewhere around there. So uh, they definitely got to bring their in game next week. You can't play like the way you did last week. Yeah. So as Joey mentioned, you know Iowa State is one of those teams that I I have high expectations for coming into the season. Um, you know, go into maybe a different podcast as far as um, you know, financial um, you know, expectations. But that's a different podcast for a different day. You may want to start listening to us actually now. I think we're, we're doing pretty good. Hit. Yeah, I'm nine and four. Matt's like, what are you? Ten and three? Eleven and two? I think eleven and two. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All but, right, there, buddy. All right. But I mean, raise the stakes. If <laughs> anybody you know is uh, wondering about that podcast. Anywho, with Iowa State. Um. I don't know if this is necessarily going to motivate them or if this is what we're going to see out of Iowa State going into the Iowa game. You certainly hope it's not the latter if, if you're an Iowa State fan. You hope that this is a motivation to have wake a better, you know, yeah, to wake up and to have a better, I don't know, maybe better game plan or just a better strategy going into Iowa because that's a game if Iowa State wants to make a case for the playoff. You cannot lose to Iowa. You have to win that game. There are certain games on your schedule that you just have to win. And especially if you're going to make a case for the playoffs, you have to basically win every game or be like 11-1 and in a conference champion. The only team that can really afford to lose a game, I think, at least right now, is Alabama. Alabama could lose four games, and the committee would be yeah. like, uh, I mean, this is Alabama <laughs> we're talking about here. Do we really want to leave them out? Uh-huh. Go like five and seven. I mean, well, let's look at these five wins. <laughs> they beat Miami first week. Miami was supposed to be good. I mean, Miami <laughs> finished four and eight again, but they were supposed to be good for a while. Remember the hype? Yeah. So that was a neutral site too, wasn't it? So let's let's give them the win there. I think if, they, if Alabama goes five and seven, Nick Saban will just retire at that point. Yeah. He'll be like, I'm done. <laughs> That'll never. UNLV fans, we go five and seven. We're like, we're building something special Alabama you go fi- they went 10 and 2 the other year and they were trying to fire Nick Saban they wanted to fire Nick Saban after they went 10 and 2 yeah they they lo- kill for UNLV football to go 10 and 2 yeah they, they went 10 and 2 had a loss to LSU on the road that had Joe Burrow and the entire LSU Jamar Chase yeah Jamar Chase the Clyde whole, Edwards Hilaire. the national championship you know LSU team 
and Alabama fans were like, fire Nick Saban. That's not good enough. <laughs> um, so just put that into context. Yeah. Let's but, let's try being a UNLV football fan, Alabama fans. We've, uh, we'll trade. I'll, yeah, I'll gladly trade. trade with you. I'll gladly. Yeah. We've made uh, two bowl games in the last 21 years, and we won one of them, which was in the year 2000. So we have not won a bowl game in 21 years. And we're f- coming off a fresh loss to an FCS opponent. So. And we have not won a game. This is the – you know, the icing on it. We have not won a football game since 2019. It has been two years yeah. since UNLV football has won a football game. So I will gladly take a 31-point <laughs> beatdown of Miami. I'll sure. take a I'll take a 4-8 and eight season. Hap- you know, I'll take 4-8, and 5-7, and seven, even 3-9 and nine I'll be happy with. Or in their case, 11-1, and 12-0, and 13-0, yeah. yeah. you know. 10-2. Oh, my God. Get <laughs> yeah, out of here. Exactly. Um, but, no, I think Iowa State – if they come into that game motivated and we see a determined Iowa State team, as we were talking about, UNLV should be utterly scared um, because I think even more so now if Iowa State loses to Iowa. Imagine that. So Iowa comes into Ames and beats Iowa State. You want to know what the repercussions are going to be next week? They're going to be taken out Dude, on you. Dude, UNLV can't even beat a big sky school. They're, they're Any opponent that's a Division One football team, they're utterly scared. They're like, oh, God. Like, I, I mean, if that honestly happens, I don't think you could set the line high enough for Iowa State the following yeah. week. I mean, you would have to start that at, like, 40, maybe. And that might even be low, too low. So I think Iowa State, they're going to be a contender for the Big 12. Um, and it wasn't, you know, just them that had struggles in the Big 12. I mean, we just talked about it. Oklahoma had troubles in the second half with Tulane. Um, so in a sense, it's going to kind of even itself out for sure. Yeah. But we do have a couple other games that we wanted to get to, right? Yes. So we got Georgia-Clemson. Again, I mean, I guess the only surprise is that it's technically considered a upset. Very low-scoring game, too. Low-scoring. Only in, touchdown was a pick six by Georgia. Yeah, it wasn't even an offensive touchdown. Mm-hmm. But I did see a lot of people um, liked Georgia. They picked Georgia. So, I mean, to a degree, I don't know how much of a surprise it was. But one game that was a big surprise, montana Beating Washington outright. Hey, the Big Sky. The Big Sky represented well. The Big Sky had a fantastic week. UC right. Davis beat Tulane, right? Yeah. Then you have Eastern Washington beating UNLV. As expected. And then you have uh, Montana beating uh, <laughs> Montana beating a top 25 opponent on the road against Washington. And even, this might sound a little stupid, but like even Southern Utah they lost they lost 41 to 14 against uh Arizona State but that came that game could have been a lot more uglier like UNLV a year ago or 2 years ago yeah, it was 2 years ago that was their last one 2 years ago beat that southern utah team 56 to 23 so i mean like it's not a close game by any means but like again it could have been a lot a lot 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 uglier so you're saying UNLV's better than Arizona State Technically, no. Well, I guess like in a way, two years ago maybe. Okay. With the Armani Rogers at the at the helm, yes. But uh, a very a very big week for the Big Sky, and you know the Big Sky has always been a pretty uh, respected. You know, two years. You know, there have been two times in the last ten years where a Big Sky opponent had beaten UNLV, and this was now the third time. And there have been other plenty of other Big Sky uh, opponents that have gone in there and gone upsets. And another correlation here to UNLV football, who is the head coach of Montana? Bobby Hawk. Bobby Hawk. And Bobby Hawk was the only coach uh, since the year 2000 to take UNLV football to a bowl game, and he was uh, fired 
I believe after the 2014 season, which was when we brought in Tony Sanchez. But Bobby Hawk, after he left UNLV, he went to San Diego State, was like a special teams coordinator or whatever there for a couple years, and then went back to Montana, which where he originally was before UNLV hired him. So he pretty much went full circle there. And a very big win for Montana, very good start for the year. And again, Big Sky needs a, a lot more respect, even in basketball too. Even in basketball, they come in and pull up a lot of upsets. Southern Utah, I think, the other year uh, had like a 22-3 and season. And again, that's another former UNLV coach now coaching the Thunderbirds. So a lot of UNLV connections in the big sky. But uh, very good job by uh, Montana. And if you're Washington, I mean, basketball's not really been going well for you the past couple of years. Now you got football already off to a tough start. So It was a rough weekend for the Pac-12. Yeah, I mean, the Pac-12 had some eh. – yeah, yeah, Arizona loses to BYU. Uh, Arizona State, I mean, yeah, they, they had a couple rough games. But USC won, Oregon won. So, I mean, their their top dogs were able to pull off wins at least. Yeah, so... Except Washington. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. So, looking at the Pac-12, uh, Kansas State beat Stanford. Um, Purdue beat Oregon State. Obviously, Montana beat Washington. Nevada beat Cal. Uh, BYU Ooh. beat Arizona. And Utah State beat Washington State. So more Pac-12 teams lost this weekend than won. Oh, did you? Hold on. <laughs> BYU reminded me of something. Uh, did you see the uh, on Twitter? So they showed pictures of, like, pictures of Allegiant Stadium mm-hmm. and, like, the concourse of, like, all the uh, different food options and drinks and stuff. So, you know, like, the the beer stands there, right? Or, like, the... <laughs> Do I, the usually, it's usually a pretty long line for you, especially if it's a UNLV game because, I mean, what else are you going to do at a UNLV football game? But... They could, there was like a like a regular snack place that had like you know like chicken tenders and sodas and stuff and then right next to it was like the the beer place. Nobody was in line for the beer place because most of the people there were were BYU fans. It was just empty. And then the line over was the chicken place with all the sodas and stuff, and it was like all the way around the corner. That's why you got to replace the beer stands with like Mountain Dew. Or whatever. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, some form of soda, right? Yeah. And then there you go. But. Um, that doesn't surprise me. By <laughs> any means. Uh, fun fact: BYU and Utah play each other this weekend. Oh yeah, that's right. The Is whole, that in Provo or Salt Lake? I believe in um, Salt Lake. So, the ba- the Holy War, as they the call Holy it. Holy War. Where I don't think BYU has won in a while, correct? Right. Yeah. It's well, not get, much of a really. You don't have to worry about much, you know, foul language or sw- or you know, no. fighting or anything like that. You know the. Between either one of those, schools. I will say some BYU fans do get pretty rowdy. They oh. do. I remember when they, they they've come to Sam Boyd a couple of times, and I mean, they're not San Diego State fans were the fans I've had the worst experience with over Reno fans. Yeah, Reno fans. Reno fans aren't that bad. I mean, they're they're annoying as any other opposing fan base. But like BYU fans, like when I mean rowdy, like they get into it. Like they're not they're not like but they're B- not terrible people. Yeah, but, but like BYU fans, they're not gonna like trash talk your team. No, I mean, I mean, they'll say UNLV sucks, but I mean, everyone. That's about the most they can say. Yeah, I mean, that they're allowed that. to say. Okay, but yeah, San Diego <laughs> State fans were the ones I had uh, the worst experience with. I had like a, uh, I wrapped the program into like a megaphone kind of, <laughs> and I was like just chanting. I was like eleven or ten. I was just like chanting UNLV or whatever. And this lady walks by in a San Diego State and she smacks out of my hand, and screams "F you" at me, and then goes to her seat. But like, just, drop the full on F bomb. Yeah. To an 11-year-old that's, just chanting Rebels. Great. But guess who won that football game? UNLV. UNLV. So. It's one of our very few wins. That was the year we made the bowl game, actually. There you go. So it was a good year. But back to 
Montana State or Montana, excuse me, beating uh, Washington. It's funny how we go on the tangent. Yeah, we. You might just when, when you start hearing us derail, just start fast forwarding because it's gonna. We'll eventually gonna go find our whole, way. Yeah, back. we'll find our way back to where we were. But yeah, no, Montana. It was a good win, and I think if you're the Pac-12, you got to be a little bit concerned. Again, like I said, more of your teams lost than won in the conference. That's a little bit concerning. Um, especially when you have some teams that were supposed to win that did not win. But looking at the last game on our docket, we've got UCLA-LSU. This was kind of one of the more anticipated games of the weekend. A lot of people are paying attention to this. And as far as biggest surprise, I don't know if it fell in the big surprise category um, as far as the final score because I think there was a lot of people that you know were picking UCLA to win that game outright. Um, I don't know if you saw the the clip before uh, the game, but Ed Orgeron being Ed Orgeron, um, I think uh, was interacting with some of the UCLA fans, and uh, they were you know obviously um, cheering for their team um, in the direction of Ed Orgeron, and um, as only Ed Orgeron could do, he uh, he said, uh, "Why don't you bring your ass on in that sissy blue shirt?" and um, well, the sissy blue shirts uh, beat LSU. Let's yeah. just, uh, but it, it was not. It was salty from his USC days, I think. Probably, I mean, there is a rivalry there, right? Yeah. I mean, he coached USC. UCLA is a big rival. I, I get it, but um, I don't know if this means that uh, LSU still isn't quite back yet from that cha- that national championship run because they had that down year last year, and now all of a sudden you're looking at it. They drop a game to UCLA, um, and credit to UCLA. I mean, they've had now back-to-back pretty convincing wins. I mean, granted, yes, both at home, but still nonetheless very convincing. You beat LSU. The week before, you beat Hawaii very very convincingly, and you do it pretty effortlessly. And so maybe this is the start of something new for UCLA and uh, Chip Kelly. Yeah, I mean, um, UCLA off to a really good start. You're 2-0. and You got pretty convincing win against Hawaii which like no one was at that game I don't know if you saw the photos just empty and then you play uh, LSU again I think LSU fans kind of help fill up the Rose Bowl a little bit but nothing less you get another double digit victory and uh, Chip Kelly maybe getting back to his uh to his Oregon days when he built uh you know when Oregon was kind of like Alabama back in the early 2010s or what was it? It was like 2010, 2011, somewhere around there? Yeah. Yeah, and then he obviously got the Philadelphia Eagles job, and then we all know what kind of happened to Chip Kelly after that. But Pretty much. Uh, great start for the Bruins. I mean, UCLA, their athletic director must feel very proud of themselves. Your basketball program had a fantastic year, just made the Final Four. I think you retained most of those guys. I think UCLA will be a top-10 team going into this year. Um, and then now football. You, you beat Hawaii, and then – and you beat Hawaii again convincingly by 30-plus points, and then now you get um, uh, LSU at home, again, a top-25 opponent, and you beat them by double digits. So if you're the athletic director at UCLA, you got to feel really proud of yourself. Like, your two moneymaker programs are thriving right now. And I, I can't help but make the reference. Do you remember who was originally in the running for the AD job at UCLA? Desiree Reed Francois. Well, they made the. the right I think choice. they made a good decision. <laughs> I think they made a pretty good decision not not yeah. picking uh, not picking Desiree because I mean, not to knock her. Good for her. She's got the the Missouri uh, job at the Power Five. Uh, Power Five and Missouri's in the what Big Twelve? No, Big SEC. SEC. Yeah. Um, but again, her football hire currently has not won a single game, and then her basketball hire had a losing record before he just 
got up and left and took another job somewhere else. So I think Otzelberger, what was his record over at UNLV? He was 17 and 15 year one, year two, he was 12 and 15. So that's 29 and 30, 28 and 30, somewhere around there. Yeah. And then Arroyo's 0 and 7 right now. 0 and 7. So our hires combined for a 28 and 37 total record, 29 and 37 total record. And she wanted to give Otzelberger an extension. Yeah, and she wanted to pay Otzelberger more for having a losing record. And UNLV basketball, yeah. under her um, leadership here, had its lowest attendance. And I think UNLV football, I've never seen Sam Boyd Stadium pretty empty. I mean, I've seen a lot of bad UNLV football teams. Uh, but those years in specific was the most I've ever seen Sam Boyd Stadium empty. And even Allegiant Stadium, like, it was a solid crowd, but, like, they're only selling lower bowl lower bowl seats mm-hmm. and even the lower bowl wasn't completely sold out so and i mean but she may you have better resources obviously at missouri so you may perform there a little bit better but uh i think ucla made the decision with whoever they picked to be their athletic director you get mick cronin and now you get uh chip kelly and these two programs right now are fantastic i don't even know if these this id made this ad made the hires wasn't it the previous ad that made these hires it may have been because yeah. i remember they gave him so much almost I'm going to try not to cuss because I don't want to get in the habit of doing that with on the radio station, but they gave that other guy so much crap for hiring Chip Kelly and Mick Cronin. Look at him now. He's getting the last laugh for yeah. sure. And then now the, the new AD, I think, is getting all the credit for it. So, I yeah. mean, poor, poor guy. He's just sitting there like, I lost my job for this, and these two guys are thriving now. I'm, I think that's what happened. I don't think this new AD made those hires. I can't remember, though. It's okay. Yeah. Having having a tough time remembering. <laughs> uh, we'll obviously have a lot more college football content coming to you later on in the week. Um, we, we also have the start of the NFL f- season on Thursday. So we'll have a lot to break down for that. If not tomorrow, definitely on Thursday's edition of Back and Forth. One of, the, one of those two episodes will have a breakdown of – uh, Cowboys Buccaneers some interesting news um, that's developed um, with the Cowboys and all that Zach Martin yeah Zach Martin going to be out for that game pretty significant Dak Prescott making his debut since his injury a lot of storylines to unfold in the breakdown and the preview of that game again that'll be either on Wednesday or Thursday's edition of back and forth make sure you are subscribed to the podcast as always at back forth pod on Twitter at back forth podcast on Instagram I'm at MattRaftree925 on both platforms. Joey is at JoeyGallegos13. And until the next episode, make sure you guys are staying safe as always, uh, especially during the crazy times. And we'll talk to you a little bit later on in the week. Peace out.